and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast, where we dive into the good, the not-so-good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with writer, actor, producer, director, and voiceover artist, Ashley Griffin. Without further ado, let's get back to it. So, if you don't mind, take us through the timeline of your career so far after college. Sure. So actually, one of the beneficial things about being a child actor is I knew the business and I was, you know, used to rejection, used to all that. So I knew I knew how it went. And so I, ju- I jumped in. I was, you know, auditioning full time. I was writing. I was, you know, working day jobs. And then Part of the challenge for me is as a performer, I'm a very unusual type. And also let's just say that it's it's very easy to gloss over some things that, you know, I graduated with an agent equity card and now I'm doing all this and that. Throughout my life, I've been dropped by agents. I got dropped by somebody like after college, you know, it's, so it's not, it's not all smooth sailing and it then gets really scary and frustrating. But I'm a very unusual type of performer. I'm a chameleon. I'm the kind of person that really transforms in the different roles that I'm in. And especially when you are 21 and just out of college, that's not necessarily the most beneficial thing to be. They, they want, and I'm also, I'm tall. They want somebody who, you know, can play a high school student for a Mm -hmm. long time and can, you know, get their big break being the understudy for somebody that they're the same type as, and then sort of build that way. And neither of those things were happening for me. I, I wasn't short enough to read as a high school person on stage. Mm-hmm. I wasn't enough like somebody else to, you know, necessarily be their type or their understudy. So it was really, really frustrating. And it was, it was a lot of auditions. It was a lot of people saying, you're great. We don't know what to do with you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was starting to get success with writing and the show that I wrote as my senior thesis, the, um, the York theater company was interested in. I started working with director Gabriel Barry, who's still a very dear friend and mentor. And I like to say that I went to the Gabriel Berry Graduate School of Writing and Directing. So I feel like the first few years out of college as a writer was when I was really learning my craft and where I found my voice. I wrote the first draft of Trial in 2011. Um, so it took, it took a few years to be like, I feel like I know who I am as a writer. And I'd had things produced before then. But as a performer, it was getting really frustrating. And Basically, my Twilight parody came about relatively quickly after college because it was me and a ragtag group of friends who also were unusual types that nobody knew what to do with. And they were some of the most talented people I'd ever met. And I got this idea because I ended up reading the first Twilight book under duress one summer. But I was also seeing the rise of this sort of culture of obsession. I read this great book by Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods. I was seeing, you know, the the spring awakening kids, you know, Mm -hmm. with their angst and busting out their mics and people like sleeping in the snow for two days to get, you know, student rush tickets. And I was suddenly like, well, what if, what if you did like a parody of Twilight that was specifically a commentary on our culture of obsession, that it was a form following function. It wasn't really meant to be about twilight. It was meant to be about these deeper human themes, but we're going to use that parody as the conduit. And originally I, I wrote it with some collaborators 
And we were going to just film it and put it on YouTube. And it could be a calling card for like, hey, you don't know what to do with us as performers. Here's what you do with us as performers. And I wrote all these roles for myself and for these other amazing people. And through the course of doing that initially, it started to get some attention because it was kind of one of the first shows of its kind. I mean, now you you have all the shows of, you know, Stranger Things and Silence and whatnot, but it was kind of the first show of its kind that really told a story from beginning to end, but with like a deeper social commentary. And it was, it, it was very different from a lot of the things that sort of were out there. And from doing that, some people in the industry said, well, you know, would you maybe do a public like presentation and a concert of it? Cause we're really interested in it. So we came back and we did that. And very long story short, that turned into Gabe Barry signed on as the director. There was a lot of interest. We decided that we were going to do a big benefit performance of it at New World Stages that suddenly made national news. And that was really only a couple years after I graduated from college. And we were suddenly MTV entertainment were calling me Perez Hilton was tweeting about it. We sold out in less than 24 hours. And it was interesting because it was a moment of me really feeling like, I don't know if I'm ready for this because this was the biggest thing that had happened for me as a writer. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to get written up and reviewed everywhere. And that wasn't originally the intention. It was, you know, this is part of the development phase. We're going to show it to people that are interested Oh man. And it was kind of like getting on a roller coaster that I really didn't think I was necessarily ready for, but it was too late to get off now. Right. And that's what kind of started to put me on the map and give me a calling card. And so that, that was in development like a couple months before twilight went up. Another play of mine got produced, um, off, off Broadway And it was just sort of a series of me pounding the pavement, auditioning for everything, making connections, meeting people. And it was, that was sort of an intersection of me as a writer and me as a performer, because I was like, well, people don't know what to do with me as a performer. I'll show them what to do with me as a performer, because I can do this, that, and the other thing. And then the writing also took off. And so it was sort of this perfect storm of all of that happening. And then it was just a continuous me pounding the pavement. And then every so often something would hit and then another thing would hit. And eventually, honestly, just the past few years, and this could change again in a heartbeat, but knock on wood, I'm very grateful for it. It all kind of started snowballing enough that as of this moment, I'm able to earn a living just from being an artist and a creator and a performer and a writer. Yeah. Um, And it just it came about from people getting to know me and then getting recommendations from other people and calling me up. And would you work on this project or that? Mm-hmm. I connected with some theater companies that put some things up. And then a lot of that spiraling started to happen around 2015 when I connected with the non-productions that I first worked with when I played Rosalind for them in a production of As You Like It. That then turned into Hamlet, which is a whole other long story, which then turned into them producing my play Snow And then that led to me just sort of getting more notoriety and then it just kept spitballing out. And then that's sort of how things took off as a performer, writer, and a director. What is Snow about really quick? Snow is actually in some ways, um, my novel, The Spindle is a prequel to Snow, um, but Snow is 
about the importance and nature of storytelling, and it is structured similarly to the Hours or Cloud Atlas and follows three disparate storylines that all revolve around the fairy tale Snow White. So it's the Grimm brothers and how they originally collected and transcribed the tale, a Victorian theatrical family whose lives start to mirror Snow White, and a modern-day girl living with her abusive mother who um, gets put in a coma and has to decide whether to wake up or not. And it's the same group of actors that play parallel roles in all the storylines. Um, and yeah, and the whole thing is really an exploration of what, why are stories important and why should we be telling them or not telling them and what importance do they have to our own lives? Wow. <laughs> do you think that in that timeline that you were talking about a couple of years post-college, you're auditioning, and in that amount of time, also you're writing and creating because you're being told mm, you're great but you don't fit in here we can't mm -hmm. we you're we don't know where to put you yeah we, nothing don't take it personally but we don't know where to put you sorry yeah. and and that builds and uh builds up as a bunch of no's so do mm -hmm. you think that by writing and creating that helped stave off some of that the UG. Oh, of definitely. And I think yeah. now, it, and there are times when I write for myself and I've certainly been in my own work when it's appropriate. And when that happens, I'm very grateful for it. And I love doing it. There are obviously times I'm not in my own work, but now I think the sort of multi-hyphenate artist has become much more acceptable. Mm -hmm. And even a few years ago, it wasn't as acceptable. And there were people being like, well, you can't be a performer and a writer. Mm. And I'm like, well, other Why people not? do it. I mean, I would even be like, look at Lin-Manuel Miranda, not saying, not trying to equate myself, but just like, you know, Anthony Newley, yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it's like, it always seemed to be okay for like a couple specific instances, but in general, not so much. And then through, you know, the, the ability that we have to create our own media now, it's become way more acceptable. I mean, look at Fleabag, look at all these Sure. other wonderful things that are out there. And I think that when it, when a multi-hyphenate artist sort of goes right, it goes really right. There's obviously frustrations and challenges and times when it goes wrong that I totally understand. But yeah, it, it, it was, it was a creative outlet. It was a way to say, you know, this is, this is what I am and this is what I do. And fortunately it has ultimately been a very beneficial thing for me. Yeah. You have to sort of tread carefully and you have to know what you're doing and be doing it for the right reasons. But yeah. yeah. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, it almost, mm -hmm. in my opinion, allows you, and I'm thoroughly fascinated by it because, and, and, and beyond impressed, it allows you to take some of your power back because yeah. as actors, we walk in the room and we say, here I am, here is my work, here is everything. And you don't know what's going on behind the table or behind the camera of like, you know, all of the other factors. So if you're able to, as you have been able to, you know, stand in that room as well and then also be like, okay, but I also have this that I've written and created and in some instances directed and I'm going to be in it, you're able to sort of, get back into the room in a different way. And then it, I think it influences how you walk into the next room, right? Because you're more within yeah. yourself. 
It does. And it's always, it's always great when you can walk in an audition room being like, this is not the most important thing I'm going to do today. I have a rehearsal later. I have a, you know, I have another thing. But the other thing that came about that's really interesting is I've now worked on both sides of the table with a lot of people in the industry. So there are people, there are casting directors that have called me into audition and we've been on the same creative team and we've been, you know, working behind the scenes. And I don't know, I really appreciate that and I value it. And I think that it's, I think in any case, it's important for all artists to know what everybody else's job is and how it really works. And yeah, so it, I've, I've found it very empowering. I've found it helpful in sort of creating community and then it does sort of help you create your own calling card. I mean, when I started to get a lot of attention for playing Hamlet, suddenly, oh, she's the girl who can play Hamlet. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you really show that? Like, in, in, in unless you're in the very unusual circumstance of being a woman called in for an audition for the role of Hamlet, which is mm-hmm. rare. How do you, you know, let casting directors and whatnot know that you can do that? And that's one of the things that you can do making your own opportunities is a very, very empowering thing. And it's, it's helpful for everyone. I mean, so much of getting a job is sadly not necessarily even about what you do in the room. It's about connections. It's about who knows you. It's about what recommendations happen. So much of casting happens in development before a show's even actually casting. And that happens from people knowing someone being like, oh, what about them? Oh yeah, yeah, I trust you. Bring them in. Mm -hmm. You know, so the more ways that you can sort of network and create that and let you, let people know you, I think it can only be helpful. Yes. On that note, I, I wonder if you might be willing to offer any sort of advice or wisdom. I just find what you're saying so inspiring to any young women who want to, maybe they're in college right now or high school, who want to enter the profession, sort of, you know, the pitfalls based on your own painful experience. And then also in conjunction with that, the things that you wish someone had maybe pulled you aside to tell you and to prepare you for before Mm -hmm. you even, maybe even before you ventured into the childhood part of your acting career or or just into uh, college. Let's see. Well, first of all, I think examine why you want to be in in any industry and anything that you're interested in doing, examine why you want to do it. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, because you really are passionate about it, you really feel called to do it, do it and don't let anybody stop you. If you're, if, if you're going into the arts because you, you want attention or you want to be famous or whatnot, like don't just don't do it. For the same reason of, you know, if you want to be a doctor just to make money, like don't do it. But if you want, if you really feel passionate about it and you really feel called to do it, do it and don't let anyone stop you. You know, Jim Carrey tells this really great story that his father, um, I don't know if he wanted to be in the arts, but there was something that he really wanted to do. And then he got a family and he's like, oh no, I need to be stable and I need to support them. So he took some job that he wasn't, really interested in, but it was just secure and stable and would allow him to support his family. And then like right before he was set to retire and get his, you know, retirement and all that, they fired him like for no reason. And they laid off a bunch of people and suddenly the whole family was living in their car. And so Jim Carrey's father said something along the lines of, you can fail at something you don't love 
just as much as you can fail at something you do love. So why not go after the thing that you love? And I sort of feel like even expanding on that, if you don't define failure as financial in any way, if you go after something you love, you're never going to fail. You know, even, even if you're struggling financially or have to do, why do you think we put up with so many annoying day jobs and having no money and stuff? It's because we feel fulfilled by what we're doing and we love what we're doing. And that situation is better than being stuck at a secure job that you just hate it with every fiber of your being every day. So go after something that you feel called to do, that you feel passionate about. And yeah, it's going to be hard and there's going to be things that are difficult about it, but I feel like it's better to be pursuing the thing that you love, that you're going to be happier in the long run. So once that's all said and done, work at your craft as hard as you possibly can because you you need to be good at what you do. That being said, the arts is very difficult in that regard because it's one of the only professions that there's not really something measurable about how successful you are at it. I mean, if you're a mathematician, there's a right answer and a wrong answer to the problem until you're getting into higher math, which is a whole other thing. But when you're acting, there's not like a, unless you're dealing with extremes of somebody who really just cannot stand on a stage and say words, um, there's, there's no way to be like, oh, you did that good. You did that better. You did, it's not measurable because everybody's a unique instrument. And that I think is one of the most difficult things because we live in a society and the way our educational system is set up, it's very much in that pass, fail, right, wrong thing. And we take that into everything that we do, that if we didn't, if we didn't book an audition, we did something wrong. Mm-hmm. We, and so if we do X, Y, and Z, then we will get it right. And if we tick all the boxes, we'll get the role. And the truth is that's not how it works. And it's actually one of the things that I find exciting about the profession. And one of the things I do wish people would talk about more is you need to really hone in on understanding what makes you unique. And I don't mean that in a competitive way about like, well, what edge can you get over other people? I mean, in the way of just what makes you a a unique human being? What are the things that you like? What are the things that you're interested in? What things do you naturally gravitate toward and do well? What are your struggles? What What's your story? And finding your voice, which, you know, a lot of people talk about, and it's a very difficult thing to do. But once I felt able to do that, I felt so much more empowered going into the world as an artist because it no longer felt like, um, let's say I was racing against my competitors in a race. It's, you know, somebody crosses the finish line first. And if you didn't, you're the first loser, you know, whatever it is. And it started to feel more like anytime I went into an audition or walked into an audition room or rehearsal room or whatnot, that it wasn't like I was running a race against the other people, that it was more like, oh, we're about to play a tennis match. And in that sense, how good the other person is, is going to affect how you play. And it's so, I would like, I would much rather lose in a game against Serena Williams than win in a game against a four-year-old, you know, because yeah, I'm going to lose against Serena Williams. She's going to make me so much better and it's going to be fun and it's going to be a challenge. And so, you know, when you know who you are as an artist, it's about 
exactly what you said. Every single human being on this planet has an important story to tell. And your story is just as valuable as everyone else's. And so it allows you to walk in with that. Great. I'm here. I have a really great story. I hope we get to work together. If not, I'm going to give you a gift in the next five minutes that I'm in this room. Right. And the opportunity will then show up and you will feel more fulfilled in going about it. Seek out teachers that you feel really work well with you, not necessarily the person who's most, like has, has the biggest reputation around them or is the most expensive or this, that, or the other. And even, even with school, don't go to the school with the biggest name, go to the school that you think is going to really be the right school for you. Um, and do this for the love of it, really treat it as you giving a gift to other people, not as you taking something from others, not that you're taking attention or love or admiration or whatnot, that you are here as a servant to give a gift to somebody. And if you, if you think about it that way, then you'll be successful in your career every day of your life. Even if you just audition for five minutes or you, you know, just talk to a customer or something. And in, in terms of what I I feel very fortunate in that I got very educated in a lot of this very early. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a frustration when I got to college. I was savvier than a lot of people, including teachers that didn't necessarily like that. And, you know, I was I was the kid in class that I would be performing a monologue or a song and a teacher might suddenly get, you know, frankly, really abusive and, you know, saying all these things and whatnot. And most other people might break down. And I would start hysterically laughing, being like, oh, this is the thing where you try to get me to break down. So I like have a breakthrough. And then you like build me back up. If you want me to cry, just ask me. And then the teacher would be very upset and not really know what to say. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, don't do that. Just tell me what you want me to do. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I, I had that. And I think, I think the only thing that, you know, in a dream world, it would have been great for me to know sooner, but I don't think anybody can is really that discovery of, of your own unique voice, but Mm -hmm. that's part of our journey as a human. Nobody, you know, is born, you know, knowing all of that. So yeah, I guess that's, that's what I would throw out and say, and, and really care about getting as good at your craft as possible because succeeding in this industry it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of luck. But when those things correlate and you get the opportunity to walk in the room, you better be really good at what you do. You know, when I, when my Twilight musical was suddenly getting all this attention, like it better be really good. You know, I had a moment um, right before the opening night of Hamlet when I was standing backstage and I had this moment of like, well, I'm playing Hamlet and I'm directing the show. I have full responsibility for anything that does not go right about this, you know, it's, it's all, it's all on me. If anything doesn't work about this, my fault right here, I got the big sign on my forehead. And fortunately it went very well. And I was fortunate to get accolades for it, but you have to be prepared that you are going to have to take responsibility for your work and not to say it needs to be perfect. There is no perfect. And we're all growing and learning and evolving and having talent and promise is important but you need to walk into that room as ready and as good as you possibly can be at that moment in your development, because that's, that's the thing that's going to keep carrying it through. So I guess that's all the, all the things that I might throw out there for that. Brilliant. It's brilliant because it brings the responsibility back to you to, to 
move through the world and have people sort of, what are you going to tolerate? Like, what do you want to do? You can't control the outside factors of the world, like what they're actually looking for in the audition room or what happens throughout a career or what doesn't happen or the directions and the many different roads that they may go down. But what you can, what what I'm gathering and what I think is so profound is the reminder that you have the responsibility and also the the power, and, and that's a great thing, to work on yourself and your craft and your life and your story in the way that you would like to mm-hmm. so that you can be as prepared to have this artist, this little artist, go out into the world in the best way possible. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that doing this is a, is a gift and it's a responsibility. And I think that a lot of, is that something I, I mentioned in, in my book, actually, that I think a lot of times the things that we're naturally good at or the things that we do well or do all the time, we tend to undervalue and we tend to take them for granted because well, yeah, that just it's it's the thing. But I've become very aware of how really remarkable even the most basic things that artists do are and that they're not a given. I mean, standing on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers and being completely vulnerable and speaking the truth. That is not a given for most human beings. You know, being able to memorize lines and confidently say them in a natural way. It's not a given for most human beings. And it's, it's a gift. And when you think about the fact that most people don't either don't have the opportunity or just, you know, don't have the desire or it's, it's not what they do to, to do this, we're, we're giving them a gift. We're giving them empathy. We're helping people feel things that they may not feel. I mean, I, one of the things that's fascinating to me watching, working in front of house of Broadway shows and watching them over and over again is seeing people in the audience, just, just go to a show sometime and just stand in the back and watch the audience and seeing people who you would never in a million years assume are criers get emotional or people gasp at something. And you're giving them the experience of accessing their own vulnerability and their own humanity. That's not something to be taken lightly. And that's something that's the case for any time you perform for a casting director for a director, for any other human being. Like that's a, that's a magical gift and, and treat it as such. And we, we tend to, you know, be like, oh yeah, I'm just doing an audition. Millions of people audition every day. It's like, no, we're going to, you know, help somebody be vulnerable and feel something. And even if you don't get the part, you've given them a gift for that. And that's what we do. And we need to treat it with respect and we need to value it because it's not, it's not a given for every person on this planet. I love that. I think I have one more question, mm-hmm. and that is, what's next for you, both professionally and then also personally? In terms of what's next, I have these these shows that one of which specifically was supposed to go up in the fall of 2020, and then COVID happened. That we're still trying to figure out dates, and hopefully, we're moving forward with that. So it's that's honestly been kind of keeping me going is just waiting, waiting for that to happen. Um, I just had my first novel published. That's something I did over quarantine was get, that's right. Let's try doing that. And I have my second novel that's going to be coming out this year as well. 
Um, let me think Incredible. what else I'm about to direct a couple projects in New York that have been in development for a while. And then I have a bunch of things that I'm, I'm in development with too. So that's, I mean, that's the thing that's, that's a little tricky about this profession is it's, it's really easy when it's like, I'm opening in the show on this date, but it's sort of in reality, it's sort of a never ending cycle of projects in different phases of their development. So yeah. So just, uh, hopefully those, those shows come to fruition and get all laid out soon. I'm really excited about them. They're, they're things that I've written and will be in as well. And I'm working with some wonderful people on it. I'm really looking forward to getting back in, in the rehearsal room and, and directing some amazing people and then just continuing to develop projects. So, and if you want to get my novel, The Spindle, it is out now on all platforms Yes. And, Give us yeah. a, a little <laughs> bit of a plug. Do you have a website? I do, yes, I do. So the easiest thing for everybody to do is to go on my website, which is ashleygriffinofficial.com, A-S-H-L-E-Y-G-R-I-F-F-I-N, official.com. There's all the news about me. I update it frequently. And you can see, there's also specific pages for specific projects if you want to learn more about that or see clips of me as a performer. And there's links to all my social media. I have a YouTube channel as well. But yeah, come come check out my website and there's links to all the things you may want to know about me on there. Oh, I definitely will. And I hope that anybody who is listening um, will as well, because I I think you saying that what artists have to offer is a gift is just it's refreshing because I think it gets forgotten a lot. And I really appreciate you reminding our listeners, reminding me um, of that uh, very simple yet complicated, that you, what you have is a gift and you are a gift in this world. So it was an absolute pleasure talking with you, Ashley. You as well. Thank you so much. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Ashley Griffin, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai, content editing by Neve McAuliffe, post-production by JMM Latom, and mastered by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic.